0: and and responsibilities under the covenant. We also have rights and responsibilities, but He's not breaking covenant. He's well within His boundaries in the covenant that He has given us to do exactly that. And I want God to correct me anyway. The Bible teaches me that if He doesn't correct me, then I'm not His son. If I continue in my rebellion, folks, there will come a day where He will leave off from correcting me anymore. He will let me go my own way after that. If He stops correcting me, am I His son? Maybe that's a discussion for another time, but I don't want to find out. I'm very happy being called His Son. And because of that, I'm very happy receiving correction from my God. If I'm wrong, folks, I need to be corrected. I want to be corrected. Amen. All right. Tangent number one. How does God demonstrate His faithfulness to us? The first way we see His faithfulness demonstrated is in the characteristic of His immutability. His unchangeability. In Hebrews, I've, i got a lot of Scriptures, so uh, I may just shotgun them out. I, you have them all in your notes, though. Hebrews 13 and 8 says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. He's always and forever the same. He doesn't change. Another way of saying that God is immutable is that God is perfect. It's kind of like being at the North Pole if I'm standing, if I can make just a little spot that is true North Pole, if I take a step in any direction, which which way am I headed? I'm headed south. I'm not headed north anymore. I can't go any farther north than this. Any change is now not north. That's kind of how I see God's perfectness. If he changes in any way, if he moves in any direction, he's not perfect anymore. So he doesn't change. He can't change and remain perfect. Malachi 3 and 6 says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. He changes not. He can't change. James 1 and 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. <clears throat> he is always the same. Numbers 23 and 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the Son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? And Job 23 13 says, But he is in... But he is in one mind, and who can turn him? And what his soul desireth, even that he doeth. His character, his, his, the totality of who he is, is immutable. It cannot and it will not ever change. And that's one reason I declare tonight that he is altogether faithful. Is because he changes not what he was yesterday, is who He is going to be today, is who He is going to be tomorrow. If He did something yesterday, He can do it today. He can do it again tomorrow. Period. And that's something to be excited about. He doesn't change. Not ever. He demonstrates His faithfulness in creation. Genesis 1.1 1, 1. And first of all, the fact that He did create everything. Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. God did that. Colossians 1 and 16 says, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. John 1, 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning. With God all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Psalm 121 and 2 says, My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Psalm 104:24. O Lord, how manifold are thy works in wisdom! hast thou made them all? The earth is full of thy riches. Job 38 and 4, Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding." Exodus twenty and eleven says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Jeremiah thirty-two and seventeen says, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Amen. And lest in the New Testament we're confused about who we're talking about, Hebrews one and three says who being the brightness of His glory and the expressed image of His person, referring to Jesus, and upholding all things by the Word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high. It's Jesus that upholds all things. He created everything. He created everything by the power of His spoken Word. And now, because of His great faithfulness to us, He upholds all things by the Word of His power. He does. The reason this thing doesn't fly apart is because He's holding it all together. The day He decides not to, it's going to fly apart. Amen. But it's because of His faithfulness that everything is the way it is today. He demonstrates His faithfulness because He is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. In Genesis 6.18, it says, "...but with Thee will I establish My covenant." And thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. He established a covenant with Noah. We see that fulfilled in Genesis 9. And he establishes an everlasting covenant with Noah. And he puts the rainbow in the clouds as the sign of the covenant. Every time he sees the rainbow, he's going to remember his promise I will not destroy the earth again with a flood. Amen. In a few chapters later, in Genesis 15, verse 18. He establishes a covenant with Abram. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying unto thy seed, Have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates? And we see that covenant honored in Exodus chapter 2, verse 24. God heard their groaning, the groanings of the, the children of Israel, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Praise God. He makes the covenants, and He remembers and keeps the covenants. Always. Always. Leviticus 26 and 9. He's teaching the children of Israel something. For I will have respect unto you, and make you fruitful, and multiply you, and establish my covenant with you. Understand, folks, that in this passage of Scripture right here, this time period, the God of all of creation came down... And established a covenant relationship with this people. No one else on planet earth had that privilege. He established this covenant with the nation of Israel. A small, a weak people. A people who couldn't. They were in bondage. They were slaves in Egypt. They were the least of all the people of the earth. God established this covenant with them a relationship with them, gave them His law, gave them truth, and worked with them. He established His covenant with them. Jumping down to verse 25, He is explaining to them what's going to happen if you break covenant, if you disobey. I will bring a sword upon you that shall avenge the quarrel of My covenant. And when ye are gathered together within your cities, I will send the pestilence among you, and ye shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. God is a, a, a wonderful lawyer. He's a perfect judge, folks. He knows the law. He knows it inside and out. It's a, it's, a, it's a manifestation of who He is. And when He establishes His covenant with us, He always operates within the boundaries of that covenant. And He expects us to do the exact same thing. I like, the, I like the, the, the wording here. That shall avenge the quarrel of my covenant. Dropping down to verse 40. If they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their trespass, which they trespassed against me, and that also they have walked contrary unto me, and that I also have walked contrary unto them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies. If then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled and they then accept of the punishment of their iniquity, then will I remember my covenant with Jacob, and also my covenant with Isaac, and also my covenant with Abraham will I remember, and I will remember the land. Verse 44, And yet for all that, when they be in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away. Neither will I abhor them, to destroy them utterly, and to break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. But I will for their sakes remember the covenant of their ancestors whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the heathen that I might be their God. I am the Lord. And this right here demonstrates, church, that no matter what it is that we do, He is not going to break covenant with us. We can go as far away as we want, but as soon as soon as we repent, as soon as we come back, he's ready, willing and able to reestablish that covenant. He didn't break it in the first place. We did. And it's always his desire to establish or to reestablish that covenant. You know the uh The understanding that (laughs) these things, walking away from God, coming back to God, serving Him in the first place, that's just one decision that I make. That's what it boils down to. I was thinking about that today. The power of our free moral agency, the power, the authority that God has given us to choose, to tell Him no. There is... Don't jump to conclusions here. Let me finish my thought. There is nothing more powerful in the universe than our power to choose. Now let me explain that. God is more powerful, right? Yes and no. Yes, He is. Except, He has limited Himself in this area. He will not trample over our choices. And in that aspect, our power to choose is more powerful than anything else in this universe. Because we can frustrate the plan of God in our lives. I can frustrate if I want to. The whole reason He created me. Now, He can find someone else to do what I was going to do. Absolutely. There's no one not replaceable. I am most certainly replaceable. If I go off in hoo-hoo land, God can bring someone else in here. But the fact of the matter is, God's plan for my life, what He wanted to do through me, is frustrated. Because I chose a different path. All of creation. Nothing else in creation is going to stand in the judgment. Why? There's nothing to judge. There's no free moral agency. Your cats, your dogs, the cattle, they don't have a choice. They don't get to be saved, but they're not going to stand in judgment either. Creation. Nothing in creation is going to be judged. Because they have to obey. The winds, the seas, the stars, they have to obey God. You and I, we don't. And with awesome power comes awesome responsibility. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of God one day and give an account for our lives, for every choice that we ever made. I think that's a. When I consider the authority that God has given everybody, and we just use it willy nilly, it ought to terrify us. The choices, the the, the responsibility that we have to make those choices. Amen. Deuteronomy 7.9, we already read. Uh, Nehemiah 1 and 5, And said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love Him and observe His commandments. He keepeth covenant, church. He keeps His covenant with us. What an awesome privilege in the first place that He deigns to, to reveal Himself to us. That God wants to be known of us. That God wants to, to reveal Himself to us in His Word, in the covenant that He establishes with us through prayer. He wants to be known. I find that absolutely amazing. We see the faithfulness of God in His long suffering patience to usward. Numbers 14 and 18 says, The Lord is long suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. <coughs> I don't see that verse. We see it in the New Testament. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And He will wait. And He will wait. And He will wait until someone is ready to say yes to Him. He is patient with us. When we have knowledge that supersedes our wisdom, You know what I mean by that? Know enough to be dangerous. And we use that knowledge improperly, incorrectly. As a new convert, I know many times, I would use the Word of God to argue a position with my brother or my sister just to demonstrate my superior knowledge. Look at how much I'm learning. What an awesome use of the Word of God, huh? That's a great use for it. Nope, not at all. I was corrected eventually, (laughs) and rightly so. God is very patient with me. He still loved me, He corrected me, not because He was angry but because He loved me. Amen. He's long-suffering. Psalm 86 and 15 says, But Thou, O Lord, art a God, full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy and truth. Galatians 5 and 22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Long-suffering, therefore, is a characteristic of God. It's a part of who God is. It defines His character. He is long-suffering. He doesn't act long-suffering. He doesn't force Himself to be long-suffering. He is long-suffering. 2 Peter 3 and 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. Oh, here it is. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Romans 2 and 4 says, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Exodus 34 and 6 The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. That's Old Testament, folks. Old Testament God. Vengeful, judgmental, jealous, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, merciful and gracious. That's the God of the Old Testament too. Sometimes, you've got to look at who you're dealing with. I know he's God. I know he's perfect and responds perfectly. But (laughs) I look at poor Moses. He had to deal with the same people God was dealing with. The meekest man on the earth, the Bible says of him. And he got very frustrated a few times with these people. I can't even imagine. But the Lord is perfectly patient and long-suffering. Even in those kinds of situations. Even in our situations. Joel 2 and 13 says, And rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repenteth Him of the evil. Just as soon as we turn around, the evil that He thought to do, The punishment that he had in store for us, the discipline, is gone. It's gone. And that characteristic, that's the characteristic that upset Jonah. He knew God was like that. He knew it. If I go preach to them, they're going to repent and you're going to forgive them. I know it. (laughs) Can you? Can you imagine having an attitude like that? I think it's kind of funny now. It wasn't funny then. Jonah knew that. He knew what God was like. And sure enough, they repented. And God forgave them. The judgment that he had in store was wiped out. It didn't happen. Because they repented, the judgment you and I had in store is gone. We repented i I know that can come back if I make bad choices later. I get that, but if I continue to live for God and I die in the Lord or he comes and raptures me up, there's no punishment. God took the punishment on Calvary. He took that punishment for me. I don't have to take it now. 1 Timothy 1 and 16 says, "Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him to life everlasting." 1 Peter 3 and 20 says, "...which sometimes were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water." Talk about the long-suffering of God when the, the thoughts and imaginations of man's heart was only evil continually. He waited patiently for 120 years for someone to repent, for someone to get right with God. And it never happened. 2 Peter 3.15 says, An account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto you, hath written unto you. Which is an excellent segue into our next point. We see the faithfulness of God in salvation. Isaiah 45 and 21 says, Tell ye and bring them near, yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Isaiah 43 and 11 says, I, even I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. He and He alone is our Savior. Exodus 14, 13 and 14 says, Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today Ye shall see them again, no more, forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. He's the God of our salvation. Hosea 13 and 4 says, Yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt, and thou shalt know no God but me, for there is no Savior beside me. Psalm 18 and 2 says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation, and my high tower, Psalm eighteen seventeen says, He delivered me from my strong enemy and from them which hated me for they were too strong for me. He saved him. He delivered him from a strong enemy. Psalm three and eight says, Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah. And in the fullness of time we see Jesus, we see God come down from heaven, wrap himself in flesh, hang on a cross, and die for the express purpose of saving mankind once and for all. The blood of lambs and bullocks and goats was not sufficient. But the blood of Jesus Christ was sufficient forever. Romans 1 and 16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He's patient. He waits for the precious fruit. He will wait to see someone saved, to see someone come to salvation. All right. So I pray we have sufficiently established the fact that God is faithful, given several reasons as to why we can believe that, we can trust that, that He is altogether faithful. Now, how are we to demonstrate our faithfulness to God? If we look at the word faith, which is part of faithfulness. The Romans, in the Roman language, the Latin language, it's known as fides. Fides? Fides? Which is where we get our word fidelity. Or conversely, infidelity. And the definition we just read, maintaining faith or allegiance, showing a strong sense of duty, or conscientiousness. Faithfulness in this this aspect, particularly when referring to our faithfulness toward God, is the demonstration of our loyalty and trust in Him. When we trust God because of who He is and because of what He's done, then we can show our devotion to Him by doing His will and obeying His commandments. And that is how we demonstrate our faithfulness toward God. The first thing we need to do is maintain trust in God. That's why I took so much time establishing that He is trustworthy. Job 13 and 15 says, Though He slay me, yet will I trust in Him, but I will maintain mine own ways before Him. I like this verse for all kinds of reasons. Sometimes when we're going through something particularly powerful, It's hard to see the forest for the trees. And when we're wrapped up in in, uh, emotional turmoil or conflict, it's really hard to sort emotion from fact. It really is. I don't consider myself particularly emotional uh, as far as that goes. But I've been in situations that have been overpowering, overwhelming emotionally. And so have you. And it's really hard to have someone come along you and say, "Well, that's that's really not true. I know you're feeling that, but but this is really how it how it is." And you're like, "Oh, that can't be. That can't be at all." But it is. And we can get to the place in an emotional state where we think God is working against us. God hates me. God is God is causing this. God is allowing this. And if you start thinking about that and start rationalizing things out, it's not too much of a leap to say that God caused this. But now what I've done is I have forfeited His trustworthiness. I no longer believe He is worthy of my trust now. And now I'm in, a, I'm in a tough spot. I am not going to maintain my faithfulness to God because I don't trust Him. Though He slay me, yet will I trust in Him. If He slays me, church, it's for a perfectly good reason. I trust Him. He wants to take me home. Bless God. Let's go. If that's the way home, let's let's go. I don't have anything left down here. I've done everything I've I've set out to do. I got married. I had kids. You know, everything a young man wants to do. Uh, I hope Jesus doesn't come until I have a chance to get married. You know, blah 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 blah. Well, I've done all that. I got nothing to look forward to now except dying. So, uh, I'm ready. I'm good to go. <laughs> Amen. Anytime He wants to come get me, I'm ready to go. But if He doesn't come take me, well, then there's work to be done. I need to be, I need to be about that. Proverbs 3 and 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Every bit of it. And lean not unto thine own understanding. Well, that's hard to do sometimes. That's really hard to do sometimes. Didn't, do I have to check my brain at the door? Can't I, can't I be a thinking Christian? Well, sometimes, yeah. But sometimes, No. If my thinking leads me astray from Scripture, if my thinking starts contradicting the character of God... Then yeah, maybe I should check my brain at the door. Because my thinking needs to be based right here. In him is hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I need I need to settle the fact that the Lord is God. First, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning I can't have wisdom. I can't have knowledge unless I first settle that. That the Lord is God. Now, if I start doubting that, everything else becomes suspect. Anyway, Psalm 118 and 8. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Now, we all understand that intellectually. That preaches well. That, That sounds right. Again, that's really hard to apply sometimes. May I say it this way? It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in my doctor, my lawyer, the government. Is that okay? I'm not saying don't don't go to those. I'm just saying trust in the Lord over all of them. Trust in, in the Word of God first and foremost. Psalm 28.7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in Him, and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoiced. And with my song will I praise Him. Matthew 6.31-33 says, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Again, preaches well but hard to apply, hard to do, especially when the cupboards are a little thin, when the bank account is a little tight. But do we have a promise, or don't we? Now, I'm not saying that we just, you know, sit on our couch and and watch YouTube and pray Jesus supply my needs. I'm not saying that either. I got two legs. I got a strong back. I can go do something for for some money. I can work. I can produce. And God has given me those abilities. I need to use those abilities. Amen. But at the end of the day, it's God that supplies my needs. Not my employer. If my employer lets me go, lets you go, I mean, that's frustrating and that that's, can be scary, but at the end of the day, okay, God will supply my needs from some other direction now. Because God is the one that supplies my needs. Not my employer. He's using the employer right now. He can use anybody he wants. He can put it on someone's heart to walk up and give me a thousand bucks. Give you a thousand bucks. He doesn't need anything. He can do what He wants. If we're seeking the kingdom of God first and His righteousness, if we're doing that, then we've got a promise, folks. A promise that we can stand on. Is He worthy of my trust or isn't He? Is He faithful or isn't He? That's a question we've got to settle. Oh, I know, right now, He's faithful. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But again, it's really hard to it's really hard to keep saying that when things are stretching out, the timelines are coming up, the bills are due, children need to be fed, heat needs to be paid for. It's harder to do. But even in that situation, church, we still have a promise. The promise hasn't gone away because that bill is coming due. Jesus isn't sitting up there wringing his hands. Hoping something happens, He's got it, if I'm seeking His kingdom first. Amen. Psalm 9 and 10 says, and they, know, and they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Joshua 1, 9 Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. Whatever you're going through, good, bad, or indifferent, He's there walking in it with you. Isaiah 26 and 3 says, Thou wilt keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because He trusteth in thee. Amen. We demonstrate our faithfulness by keeping God first in our lives. Matthew 6, 24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, Or else you will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. There can only be one king on the throne. Only one. You, him, someone else, something else. But that's king. That's your object of worship. It's got to be him. It's got to be Jesus Christ. He has got to be our object of worship. He's got to be our Lord and God. And no one, no thing else. Exodus 20, 1-3 says, God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. He has every right to say that. Because I promise you, you're first and foremost in His mind. He's just expecting the same thing. That's it. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 says, Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Amen. How do we demonstrate our love for God? If you love me, keep my commandments. That's right. God's love language. Obedience. Submission. It's not hard. It's not hard to do what you're told. It's kind of liberating, actually. kind of takes the heat off of you. I'm just doing what I was told. Yeah. Amen. We demonstrate our, our faithfulness to God by disciplining ourselves to live pleasing to Him. John 12 and 26 says, If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my Father honor. Following him. Disciplining ourselves to model our lives after him. Being a disciple. Luke 9 and 23 says, He said unto them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Luke 6 and 40 says, The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. I.e., Christ-like. Luke 14:26 and 27 says, "If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple." Quick clarification for those that uh, might need it: uh, He's not saying to hate your father and, and brother and all of them. He's not saying to hate yourself. What he's saying is they cannot come above God. God must come first even above my own life. If it comes between my life and God, I choose God. That's that's the way it has to be. Every martyr that's ever been killed for the sake of Christ has made that choice. They have. They chose Jesus Christ over their own lives. That's one way we overcome. The blood of the Lamb, the Word of our Testimony, and because we love not our lives unto death. Amen. Luke fourteen thirty three says So likewise whoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. We are called to be disciples, church. That is one way we demonstrate our faithfulness to Jesus Christ. But we don't get to pick and choose how we be a disciple. We don't get to choose our path. We don't get to choose the curriculum, if I can say it that way, that He presents to us. That's His choice. When He fashions and He forges an individual, He burns things out of our lives. He puts things into our lives that are pleasing. That's His business. He does it His way. And we, as faithful Christians are required to submit ourselves to that process. As painful as it might be in the moment. As hard as it might be in the moment. But we need to allow Him to beat on us and hammer us. If that's the process, right now. That won't always be the process, but it might be today. It might be next month, next year. But we need to discipline ourselves to submit ourselves to that because it's for our best. We need to remain faithful to God and discipline ourselves as Christians to become Christ like, to be His disciple. John 13 35 says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. 1 Peter 2 and 21 says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. that ye should follow His steps. An example of suffering. An example of patient forbearance in the midst of persecution. An example of submission to the Father, even when it meant the death of the cross. We demonstrate our faithfulness to God by making disciples. Matthew 28:18 through 20 says, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. 2 Timothy 2 and 2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And the process goes on and on and on and on. Teach others so that they can go teach others so that they can go teach others. That's how we build the kingdom of God, church. One at a time. Amen. The 100, 500 soul revivals, they're awesome. They're powerful. They're great testimonies. But we can't disciple five hundred people. Not not right now we can't. Someday I I see a day where we can. But not not tomorrow. We build the kingdom of God one at a time, one disciple at a time. I'm not so much interested in seeing a bunch of people get the Holy Ghost as I am seeing a few disciples here few disciples there grow up, mature, enter into their ministry, start making disciples themselves. That's what I want to see. That's what really excites me. Amen. God is altogether faithful, church. That's the covenant that He established with us. He is going to be faithful to us. We are required to be faithful to Him. First and foremost, we are to remain. That doesn't work. We are to be faithful. We are to not be in. I can't make it work. I'm trying to use infidelity, but it's not working. Let's all stand. Yeah, don't be an infidel. <laughs> I guess that's. Technically, right? But not what I was trying to say. Don't allow ourselves to get to the place where we break covenant with our God. In a marriage covenant, we are to remain faithful to that spouse. Unto death. And we hear preaching, we hear teaching, and all of it good. And it's right. Don't, Don't allow anything to come between you and your spouse. Don't allow things into your life that's going to lead you away from your spouse. It's going to tempt you to go off and mess around with someone else. Just don't do it. Well, Let's have that same level of commitment with our relationship with Jesus Christ as well. Don't allow anything to come into your lives that's going to get between you and Jesus. Don't start chasing other things. Don't start chasing money. Don't start chasing people. Stay faithful to Jesus Christ. Amen. Because He's always faithful to us. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. Thank You, Lord, for Your manifest presence in this place this evening. I pray, Lord, that the words that went forth were Your words, that they would settle in our hearts and spirits, that they would work Your perfect work. I pray, Lord, that Your name would be glorified here, continue to be glorified in each person's life. I pray, Lord, that You would bless the people of God here. Bless those joining us online. Keep us safe and sound. I pray, Lord, that you'd bring us back to the house of God at the day appointed. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you. You're dismissed.